Hey, this is Brian Chance, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And it is that time again, folks. Welcome to part one of the annual No Sleep Till Sudbury Christmas episode live from the home of Rick Emmett once again. Rick, thank you so much for having me back. It's my pleasure, Brent. I'm thrilled to be back here. We had a really good time doing this last year. Yeah, I look forward to it now. It's, it's like this is part of the, uh, <laughs> the, the the Christmas season starts in uh, late October <laughs> with, the, with the recording of the uh, playlists. Yeah, it's fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, once again, we're going to do this in two parts. Yeah, okay. Uh, I want to thank you for the effort that you put into the uh, preparation of the, the mammoth script that you received because <laughs> oh no that guy Emmett and I, and I know he goes on tangents nothing but tangents oh my god yes well we got two episodes I the, the second one might be a little skinny we'll see how it works out I think it'll be okay okay yeah so we've got seven songs we're going to do four in part one yeah. and three in the second part okay. and the bonus this year is that you're going to be performing twice <gasps> we're lucky <sighs> Yeah, well, let's let's see what happens because <laughs> there's no guarantees there. I've learned a new song for this. Oh, good. And I'm playing an old one, so yeah. yeah but I've there's a so we might have to do several takes. <laughs> I okay. might be saying, Brent, how's your editing skills? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you say, we'll edit out all the clams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, great. So, uh, great attention to detail. I really appreciate that. So, in keeping with your attention to detail. Uh, you have prepared a playlist with some very specific themes in mind. Yes and no. I mean, you know, sometimes you just make the list and then you go, what do they have in common after the fact? Yeah. And you go, oh, a lot of these songs aren't about Christmas at all. They're just songs about, you know, the weather mm-hmm. or, you know, they're seasonal. So, um, and that's a that's a kind of a cool little subtopic to have. Yeah. So that was one thing that they had. And of course, in keeping with my standard way of approaching these things, because I, I taught songwriting at, at Humber for such a long time. And the whole idea was how do you put certain kinds of songs into historical context? Right. You know, so that's a, that's a, a theme that I do is like to sort of try and give people an understanding of where the songs came from. And then of course, everything is just a, 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 a leaping off point from my tangents, you know. So, so that's a that's a common theme. That the tangent man will go off on some tangents for sure. Well, that's where the educational aspect of the shows come from, though, because you know they're entertaining, but they're also educational because you go on tangents and all these other you know facts that I wasn't expecting kind of come into play. Yeah, the other thing too is that like, especially because of when I was teaching at, at Humber, and you, you know it's young people, and and their culture is. It's such a digital universe now, and their culture is so sort of pervasive, mm. and they don't really get that depth that you know we used to take kind of for granted. You know mm. that you know some here's a record. Well, it's got producers and it's got arrangers and it's got you know important sidemen probably played on this. You know, and yeah. who were those sidemen? Because they were you know unknown, but they were like in my mind, heroic. You know, mm-hmm. they were doing amazing work. So I kind of like to, you know, dig back and find that stuff. And, you know, the internet exists now, so it's not so hard to, you know, Google something and Wikipedia and you go, okay, uh, here's some facts and figures I can share with the people that are listening to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the opening topics or the or the themes rather. Yeah. So songs that are seasonal, but not about Christmas per se. That's it. Right. 
uh, historical content we're going to talk about. Yeah. Of course, the tangents. Yes. And also, we're going to do some shameless name dropping of users. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. Yes, I am going to do that. But to me, I guess because I sort of approach uh, everything from the perspective of a musician, mm -hmm. you know, um, like, uh, so whoever played on these things and I think Christmas records were sort of, they've become almost the last vestige of old school recording. Mm -hmm. So a couple of the albums we're going to talk about, you know, guys like James Taylor doing Christmas records and, and Michael Bublé and that kind of stuff. They're doing it old school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that cast of characters that enters into old school recordings, that, that matters to me. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But that's, that's the grit. That's what I love. Right on. This stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so we're going to kick it off with the Christmas song, James Taylor. Yeah, and I had done uh, that one last year, too, yeah. Christmas song, and we went into the big backstory about Mel Torme and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one, we'll just talk about, uh, for me, Taylor's approach to this tune and what they did in the studio. And the, the funny thing about Taylor's Christmas records is it actually started life as a retail gig mm -hmm. like it was like his manager came to him and said hey hallmark stores are willing to do a we can do a christmas record for them and you know it'll be like seasonal it'll be on all the hallmark stores across you know north america so taylor said okay you know lord knows why <laughs> he, he said okay so and then so then he did a bunch of recording i, I mean he must have got a, a nice massive budget to be able to do it in the first place mm. and uh which is probably why they went yeah let's do this you know uh managers getting a nice commission you know taylor's making a paycheck yeah so they did a bunch of tunes and uh funnily enough another uh song we're going to do later michael buble his album christmas album started exactly it was an ep We'll we'll talk about that later, but when yeah. we get there. But same idea. It was a retail thing first. So, and then uh, later on, Taylor sort of repackaged. He'd done a song on his October Road album that was a Christmas record, and uh, so he he brought that up. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, and he put that into the package. And the, the kicker here too is, and I'm going to get to this later in the podcast. He had toyed with the idea of doing Joni Mitchell's River song, mm, mm. Uh, which it's one of my favorite, you know, uh, Christmas songs. And I love it. Um, and Taylor had a really unique approach to it. Hallmark didn't want it on their collection. Because uh. it's, it, yeah. So, and we'll talk about that later. But in any case, it wasn't on the original thing that had this. But he did have the budget that he could get lots of great people to play on the record. So... On this particular track, this one that, you know, we're talking about, which is the Christmas song from 2004, and it had Toot Steelman's, mm. who was the guest artist, playing harmonica on it. Yeah. And, and I love Toot Steelman's. Like, he's just, uh, you know, to me, one of the greatest musicians on the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So, but he's also got uh, John Pizzarelli playing guitar on it. So when people are listening in the first verse, you'll hear these really lovely, tasteful, strummed jazz guitar chords that are happening mm -hmm. and then in, in in a verse later you get to sort of hear him featured a little bit again but it's subtle but uh pizzarelli is a his voicings are unbelievable and so i'm gonna go on a bit of a tangent here about pizzarelli because uh his uh his dad yeah is bucky pizzarelli and bucky played in the house bands for johnny carson's 
uh, band on his TV show, Dick Cavett, when Cavett had a talk show. Mm -hmm. And he toured with a singer named Vaughn Monroe. This is Bucky Pizzarelli back in the day. And Vaughn Monroe is going to show up, you know, later on in our our podcast again. But, you know, so keep that one under your hat. Uh, And Benny Goodman, he toured with Benny Goodman. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and here's why I want to talk about Bucky Pizzarelli, because I played a gig in December of uh, 2011 yeah. at the Iridium in New York. The, that gig at the Iridium, Monday nights used to be the Les Paul Trio. Les Paul used to be there. It was a house gig for him on Monday nights. Oh, wow. And so literally, like, Japanese tourists would come and fill the, the, this little basement club in New York, just, just off of Times Square. And um, he had a little trio. So he had another guitar player named Lou Paolo. Mm-hmm. And an upright bass player that, you know, sometimes it would switch out, depended, but that was his trio. And he would play these gigs. So that was what the Iridium, Les Paul had passed away, they were trying to keep it going. Anyways, it was kind of a common thing that the Iridium would be able to get somebody like Bucky Pizzarelli to come in from New Jersey, you know, drive in and and, and be an opening act mm-hmm. for, for, for that night. So that's who my opening act is going to be. Bucky Pizzarelli He's 85 years old. And, you know, he's, he's got a seven string guitar and, uh, he's just unbelievable. Like he's, the guy can cook, like he's just burning and they're, you're playing old standards, you know, like Georgia Brown and, you Mm -hmm. know, like just old stuff, but they're just killing it. And I'm sitting back in the dressing room going, Oh no, like how am I ever going to follow this? This is unbelievable. But of course the people that are out in the house that are my fans, they're going, who is this old I, guy? Like, they got no idea. That's what I was going to say. Like, what was the crowd reaction? Yeah, like, it was half and half. You know, okay. like, there were some people that were going, wow, that's that's amazing. Isn't it great that Rick would book a guy like this to open? And, <laughs> you know, they're clapping for him politely, you know. and But I'm sitting back and I'm having a, you know. <laughs> Anyways, it was great. So he was my opening act. Yeah. And Lou Paolo, he, he had a few drinks that night. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was all right. It was good. It was it was all good. So, anyways, back back to James Taylor. All right. Yeah. So in his band on this recording, he's got Vinnie Colaiuta playing drums, mm-hmm. and most of your listeners are going, "And I should care because," mm-hmm. but Vinnie Colaiuta plays with Jeff Beck. Yeah. Vinnie Colaiuta played on Sting's albums and tours. Yeah. He was uh, in the Frank Zappa big tours back in the day. He toured with uh here's your CanCon connections here gino vanelli joni mitchell yeah yeah so you know Vinny is like uh crazy good and i could go off on some tangents there but i won't <laughs> but uh yeah he's great and uh larry golding is the piano player and larry golding to me is a genius mm. and his, the marriage of larry golding's voicings that he plays on the piano with james taylor and his voicings and his playing it's it's really beautiful. It's a very seamless kind of marriage. And you can hear it in, in this track for sure. So but of course, you know, um we we get back to this whole thing of why do you have your show because of goosebumps or shivers or, you know, however you want to describe it. So have have I ever told the story of where the phrase G B factor came from? No. So shall I tell that story? Sure. Well, this will be a long story. Of course. No, okay, please. so I'm doing a, a, a project for Guitar Player Magazine. They used to put these flexi discs into, into the middle of the magazines. Yeah. And so, and I'd been a columnist for a long time, and they'd sort of said, you know, I'd pitch them. I said, listen, I'm, I've been writing a sort of a guitar thing, mm-hmm. which I could envision as a almost like a guitar quartet. Okay. Uh, would you guys, you know, be up for 
covering the budget. If I could get Alex Lifeson to play on it, Ed Bickert, the, the jazz guitarist, wow. and Leona Boyd. So, wow. so this will be like, you know, a, a, a heavy duty power quartet sure. of Canadian guitarists. And Leona Boyd sat on their advisory board and she'd won classical guitar of the year a few times. And of course, Lifeson is Lifeson from Rush, you know. But Ed Bickert, to me, was like one of the kings of, of Canadian jazz guitar for sure. But just guitar in general, he should have had a lot more uh, uh, recognition than he got. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking, hey, you know, big for my britches, I'm thinking I'm going to be able to get Ed Bickert on the cover of Guitar Player Magazine, you know, where he deserves to be. So, you know, part of that is me being cocky. <laughs> so anyhow. What year would this have been, right? 87. Okay. Yeah. So, and it would have been early part, late, late 86, and then early part of the year. By the time we got around to doing it, I think it came out in the summer. Okay. Anyways, when when we're mixing the thing later, Alex and I are in the studio at Metalworks in the main room, and he and I are mixing. And Alex is one of these kind of guys that just, he really knows his way around gear. Mm. And he loves playing with harmonizers and DDL and digital delay and all this stuff. So and he so he's got a thing going with, with one of these AMS units where he's creating these uh, regenerating echo repeats off of something that he's played right okay. and you know uh, meanwhile in the background there's Leona and Rick and and Ed you know backing up Alex at this part and he's he's doing it and as he's leaning over the board and he's turning the knob on the unit and creating the things the hair on his arm is standing straight up. Oh. And I'm kind of looking at him and he looks, he goes, see that? And he points to the, he goes, GB factor. And ah. I go, what's that? He goes, goosebumps, man. Look at that. And like, so the music was giving him this That's great. You know, visceral kind of thrill in the moment. Yeah. And I went, okay, GB factor. Cool. You know, so I, you know, started using the phrase a lot. What a great yeah. story. Yeah. So you had no sleep till Sudbury. I got GB factor. <laughs> I got it from life. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So the GB factor for me yes. in this song is when uh, it actually is in the tag. Like, I mean, I love the song and it would give me goosebumps in any case. But when it gets to the tag, Thielman starts playing mm. and they're doing a thing where they're toggling the 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 key of the of the of the song from okay. one key to another. Doesn't matter to Toots. Like he can just play over anything. And at one point he plays this beautiful high soaring lick. And Taylor is singing, you know, uh, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And then he hears this lick that Thielman's plays. He goes, yeah. Uh. And I love when people, like, it's like in acting, when somebody breaks the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. Like, personally, I like it. Yeah. You know, and some people would say, oh, no, you're never supposed to do that. But I go, I hate the rules. You know, who cares? Like there's an accessibility involved. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Th there's a, a long history to this particular thing on records, which I personally really dig. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go off on another uh, uh, tangent here. <laughs> okay. Should, should I do it in this one or should I save it for another song? Uh, let's save it for another song. Okay. okay. Well, I'm just going to mention this then. Okay. That uh, it, 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 there's a, there's a, a record that uh, Tony Bennett did. Yep. With Stevie Wonder. Yes. And the reason I'm mentioning this as a tangent is because it's harmonica. Okay. And they get to the tag of that thing. And, oh, no, it was the solo. Sorry. And so Stevie Wonder, live, Tony and Steve are doing this, you know, take okay. of of uh, Stevie's tune uh, for once in my life. Okay. So they get into the thing and Stevie's playing the harmonica solo. And he gets 
halfway through and he goes, nah, 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 nah. so he does a little quote of I left my heart uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. Na, 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 na. Da, 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 da. He doesn't play that. He just goes, da, do, da, da. Yeah. and Tony goes, ah, and you hear him laugh. That's great. And I, when I, whenever I hear that, I get goosebumps. I go, man, that's so cool that yeah. they're so good yeah. that they can, uh, do this live off the floor yeah. and then this moment happens which is what you know and once in a lifetime kind of little thing absolutely. and he laughs and then the engineer goes yeah we're gonna leave that in oh for sure you know like the producer goes no no that's cool i'm gonna keep that so yeah. so let's keep that in mind for there's, there's another one coming up okay. so we'll talk about it when we're talking about another song okay so finally a little background on toots yes okay uh historical background here, you remember I, I said earlier that Bucky Pizzarelli had toured with Benny Goodman? Yeah. Toots toured with Benny Goodman. Yeah. And that was in Europe in 1949 and 50. And that's how he kind of got known. But he made a recording of a tune called Bluesette. Do, do you know that song? Great, great tune. So that was a hit in 61. And it's become sort of a, a jazz standard. Anybody that's heard the harmonica on the soundtrack of Midnight Cowboy yes. or the theme for Sesame Street, that's the one, yeah. Th that harmonica is Toots Thielman's. Yeah. And one of my favorite albums of all time is an album that he did with Bill Evans called Affinity. Mm. And it's piano and harmonica. And it's just Toots and Bill. And it's so good. Wow. So I recommend that to anybody if they're deciding they want to, you know, expand their record collection to have stuff that's maybe. Some of the greatest records that nobody's oh, nobody's yeah. ever heard. That's one of them. That's a great one. It's called Affinity. Well, the yeah. the best thing about this is that we're encouraging people to kind of listen very you know distinctly to to certain parts or instruments yes. instead of considering an entire song. You know, yeah. I, I love that. And and I would say you know probably ninety percent of the people that listen to a James Taylor song on the radio and it's a you know it's Christmas song and they're going oh yeah and then maybe they go ah oh, you know I like this version of it better or mm -hmm. you know but they're not even picking up that there's this harmonica part on there that's being played by this guy who, who was a living legend yeah you know and who's just killing it like yeah. it's just so good it's sublime you know yeah. oh yeah and you know people are just you know going down the mall doing their christmas shopping and they don't even you know don't even notice but uh well we anyway. talked we talked about that last year too you know christmas songs are there they're just in the air at this time of year but people take them for granted almost and they, they don't do. consider you know they don't kind of think twice about what went into it when they were written like all the interesting facts and who contributed and why and Exactly. Yeah. Great yeah, stories yeah. In this stuff. And so James, you know, James Taylor is doing something that, you know, to hire a sideman to play in a record is like, oh, how can we make it better? You mm -hmm. know, we've got the budget to do it. But when somebody wanted a harmonica for a, a Paul Simon record, who did Paul Simon hire? Toots Thielmans. Yeah. When Billy Joel wanted a harmonica player, who did he go get? Toots Thielmans. Right. Like that he's the guy. There was another guy named uh, Lou Adler. He was a famous uh, harmonica right. player too. Yeah. But Toots was kind of like, internationally if you wanted that kind of chromatic harmonica where there's a little button on the side and you can you know you can play all the jazz notes in between mm, <laughs> yeah. wow yeah so toots was the guy he was a guitar player too wasn't he he was yeah yeah, yeah. and of course so why do i love him and, you know probably that prejudice <laughs> enters into it for sure yes so that's our tune that's the first one all right great so next we've got let it snow 
Michael Bublé. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, with the same sort of theme, it's, it's, a, it's a song that's about the weather. Mm-hmm. So it's not about Christmas necessarily at all. It's not about Jesus or any of the stuff, yeah. you know. It's the little baby Jesus. And it's not about any of that. It's just about the snow. And uh, again, like the James Taylor Hallmark thing, Buble, it was they cooked it up with HMV mm. that he was going to do this EP, five songs, and David Foster was involved, you know, as a producer, and so this was the sort of the title track, "Let It Snow." Let's start out by talking about the origin of the tune, okay. "Let It Snow." So. The lyrics are written by Sammy Kahn, who's a very, very famous lyricist from back in the day. And the uh, composer is Jules Stein. Mm -hmm. So Jules Stein and Sammy Kahn get together. And this is like the same story that I told about uh, Mel Torme and, uh, you know, Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting, like written in in, in a beach house in in Palm Springs in the middle of summer. This was written in the summer heat of California in 1945, Let It Snow. So again, these guys, you know, these... Sort of Jewish fellows are sitting around going, okay, how can we, uh, we got to have a song for Christmas. Let's, let's, let's do this. You know, so they sit down and they write this thing. Yeah. So, and of course, it's not about Christmas or the holidays. It's, it's just about snow. It's about, it's about the weather. It's very Canadian. It's, yeah. 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 But we, 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 you know, last year we talked about the fact that uh, Torme uh, had done this. They did this to kind of cool off a little bit because it yeah. was July. Yeah. And I think they're, they're in California, so they're like, oh. you know, it's almost like a fantasy thing, right? They're yeah. writing about cold weather. Yes. And that's how these things formed. Yeah. Which is really funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you know, I can't get around the, the fact that there's also this extremely practical sort of, you know, okay, look, we got to have a song <laughs> and we got to give it to the publisher so the publisher can go and try and get people to record it for the Christmas, you know. Yeah. So... Anyhow, 1946. So here's something that is, is a you know factoid, yeah. which I and I love these things. So and you'll remember I mentioned Vaughn Monroe was a guy that uh, Pizzarelli had played with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Vaughn Monroe, Bucky Pizzarelli had toured with him, and he had uh, a number one on Billboard with this song. He had the first number one with "Let It Snow." But here's an interesting thing about how the industry worked back in those days. Mm-hmm. There were three artists in the top 10 that all had that song that year. Oh. Yeah. So competing singles in the marketplace, it still happens nowadays, but usually it gets weeded out really early. They would yeah. never all get the airplay. They would never all climb the charts at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it happens in country music, uh, but it doesn't really ever happen in pop. So anyhow, yeah, at the time, uh, there was a Woody Herman version of it that was at number seven. And Connie Boswell, I don't know who she is. No she had she had it at number nine. All so you could, yeah, so you've got the same song is at number one, number seven, and number nine so all at the odd. same time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? That is crazy. And because it's a seasonal song, they keep playing it into January. Yeah. And in fact, that's when it went number one for Vaughn Monroe. It was in January, anyhow. Wow. Of 46. Yeah. So crazy, eh? Yeah. And just in case anybody listening doesn't think that a song like, a, you know, uh, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow doesn't have incredibly great long legs. Mm. In 2012, Rod Stewart had to go to number one for five weeks. 
classic songs they they never go out of style really right don't. and and Buble's version of it to me is uh surpassingly great mm-hmm. it's it's a really really strong arrangement you know and Buble has a nice delivery of it too like he's just like it's in his wheelhouse right and part of it is that the song when it was originally conceived by Sammy and Jewel the, those two guys they they kept capture i i think of it as song prosody that a lyric and and the music is matching yes really really well yeah and in this case this the lyric is really sort of happy and upbeat you know hey i don't care like let it snow i don't care it's i'm 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 and there's this universal emotional kind of thing and i used to tell my songwriting students this is key like this is what you're trying to find in the at the heart of your song is what is the universal emotional thing so these you know, universal, happy, upbeat human instincts of like comfort and warmth and like nesting kinds of things and creature comforts, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, Sammy writes, uh, the fire is almost dying, but my dear, we're still goodbying. Yeah. Like, like that's pretty clever. You know, yeah. that's Cole Porter clever, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I think of it as the same idea, like uh, lately on TV, there's been a Bell commercial where they're talking about, you know, your the time you're using on your phone and that the guy is in his bedroom talking to his girlfriend. He's going, okay, you hang up. And she's in her bedroom. She goes, no, no, you hang up. He goes, no, no, you hang up. He goes, well, I could do this all night. No, you hang up. But that whole thing of, you know, we're still goodbye yeah. like that's a universal, emotional, human dynamic. Absolutely. And Sammy captures it in two phrases, you know. Yeah. And it's it's still uh, relevant today, which is why these songs never go out of style. You hang yeah. up. No, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a touchstone, really. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, shall we talk just a little bit about... I haven't played, touched my guitar yet. I think I'm going to get that going. Get my guitar going here. So um, you get a song like this, and... A lot of it's based on old ragtime kinds of things. Mm. So the you know it used to be common to have these kinds of cycles of chord changes that would happen in popular songs where they use dominant sevens. So like Sweet Georgia Brown would be something like. So that was kind of the thing, right? Yeah. So uh, a song like this comes along, and these guys are the next generation along. They remember this. It's what they cut their teeth on. And they start writing these tunes. And so it's like... Right? But now you're getting the the hipness of... And there's a key change there. So you get... So you're getting a key change in the middle, but you're still getting these like sense of keys. So and then, which is kind of ragtimey in in the way that it's constructed. Yeah. So one of the things I love about this tune is is uh, the way they have. Uh, chords that'll happen at certain times to establish modulations. So your verses in, say, key of F. Let us all let it snow. And then when we finally say goodnight. 
so you get this little G7 chord that takes it to to the bridge. Mm-hmm. And the story I want to tell about this is this is a classic middle eight. Okay. And that's a phrase that the Beatles used to right. use when they would describe bridges of their songs. Yes. And they had no idea what it meant. <laughs> they they would just call everything a middle eight. Oh. <laughs> but it was it, it, structurally it was eight bars long. Yeah. But the Beatles didn't necessarily have it be eight bars long, but they just always called it, you know, the middle eight. The, the, and I used to tell songwriting students, this is where the song takes a, a vacation. Yes. It goes on a holiday. It goes off on a, on a tangent for a while. Yeah. Which I love. <laughs> and and then it comes back, you know. Mm-hmm. So in this, in, this song is in the key of F. Da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Yeah. And then it, it gets, when we finally say goodnight. So it's now. It's, it's, it's back, it's in the key of the fifth of the song da 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 ba ba da 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 so it, this is like the ragtime stuff mm-hmm. like it's just making that kind of and gets back to the home key again the fire is almost dying yeah it's it's pretty cool the way it, it cycles around like yeah. that yeah and it makes it so that it's very easy for a listener to sort of follow the mood of what's going as it moves from verse to bridge, back out of the bridge and back into the song again. Yeah, so. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. So the arrangement on the song that we're sending people to. Yes. It was originally David Foster in 2003 and Alan Chang, who uh, he's a guy that... Um, has a relationship with Buble as his piano player guy, mm-hmm. which Larry Golding is to James Taylor. So what Larry Golding is to James Taylor, Alan Chang is to Michael Buble. Yeah, and this song, the arrangement has a modulation at the 105 point and it launches to the solo with, with Buble's encouragement at, 10, at 117. Yeah. And then it modulates again at 145. So it's got these modulations that are like stepping up, stepping up, like the energy, the I happiness like is yeah. just building. As the song goes, but this is where I was gonna, you know, come back to this thing about Buble's encouragement. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to tell the backstory to, to this. Yeah, so please. he he sings and he goes like, uh, "Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, lay, let it snow," and then ba da 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 da, the band goes off, right? Yeah. The piano playing solo. So, so he sort of shouts encouragement as it launches into the middle eight. We're gonna go back in history. And there was a guy that was a big part of country music history, Bob Wills. Okay. And he had a thing called the Texas Playboys. Okay. And I don't know if anybody has ever seen any footage of Bob Wills, but he seems to be psychotic. <laughs> like, he's the strangest dude. They're wearing those cowboy outfits, you know, like the fancy shirts, and they all got the hats, and they all got the lariat neckties and stuff. Bolo ties. Yeah, right. whatever. Yeah. Like scarves tied at their neck or whatever. Yeah. And he's, and all they're they're all dressed the same. And Wills is often sort of wandering around the stage with a violin, okay. but he's hardly ever playing because he's got like a cast of thousands, yeah. you know. But he's one of these guys that's like got a frozen smile on his face, <laughs> and he's just looking at the audience. And sometimes his eyes widen, like it's like like this scary looking. And you go, what is that? Like it's weird that he's just being so. But every now and then. He would do stuff like lean into the one microphone, one central microphone that, you know, the mandolin player would use or the violin player would use or the singer would use. Yeah. And he'd lean in and he'd go like, oh, yeah. 
into the microphone, right? Because he was the band leader, and this is what he would do live on gigs. So when they started doing recording dates, Bob Wills, they'd be doing something at a certain point. Wills would lean in and go, that's right. (laughs) Or, okay. You know, like somebody would play a lick and he'd go, you betcha. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the first times they're doing a take, you know, uh, when his band's in recording, the engineer goes, you know, they finish the take. Yeah. You know, how was it? The engineer comes on the talk back and goes, it was fantastic. But Bob, don't lean into the mic and say those things. You know, <laughs> it's like you're breaking the fourth wall. Don't do not do that. You're disrespecting the, you know, the, the recording of the music. And yeah. Wills goes, no, 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 you don't understand. This is my band. This is my thing. Right. And this is what I do. This is, I, I lean into the mic and go, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's what I do. And where did Wills get this from? Yeah. Wills grew up in an environment in, in sort of South Texas where there were a lot of black churches mm. where people would go and they would have those kinds of moments where the preacher would say something and everybody would be going, yeah, Jesus, yeah. you betcha, you know, yeah. reacting. Or somebody singing a spiritual song and people are going, ah, found the Lord. Yeah. You know? And so that was Will's. So Will's, whenever the music, and this ties directly to your, you know, No Sleep Till Sudbury, Goosebump Factor, things that give you the chills. Yeah. Whenever Will's got the chills, he'd just go, that's right. <laughs> You know, he just leaned into the mic and he'd, he'd do this, right? Because he, he was the band leader. I'm allowed. It's my yeah. band. You know, it's my record date. I'm going to do it. That's hilarious. So that's where it started. And, uh, you know, decades later, Michael Bublé's going, yeah, let us know. And then the band launches into the thing. So I love stuff like that. That's funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's a little side issue about uh, Bob Wills, too. Okay. This is, you know, purely for the edification of your listeners. I bet they think mm-hmm. that Deep Purple was the guys that wrote the song Smoke on the Water and that they coined the phrase mm. because of some idiot with a flare gun shooting it off in a building in Switzerland yes. and setting fire to the roof. Not so. Bob Wills had a hit with this in the 40s. The and it was 40s. a patriotic song about the Second World War. And uh, he didn't even actually have the first hit with it. A guy named Red Foley had the first hit in 1944. Wow. And in 1945, Bob Wills did a recording, a version of it. And it was the chorus was like, you know, on the land or on the sea, there'll be smoke on the water. Hmm. It was like, we're going to go and get those guys. and They're going to be sorry they ever picked on us. So he had the original smoke on the water. That Bob Wills, funny. the psychotic band leader. <laughs> yeah. I want to see this footage. There, oh, yeah, there was... Uh, Recently on TV, uh, Ken Burns did a thing about the history of country music. Okay. You know, he gave it the same treatment that he'd given baseball and jazz. and So he did one on country. And he had a lot of footage in there of, of you know, scary stuff. Wills <laughs> like making googly eyes. Like, oh, geez, he's, he's a little bit freaky. That's odd. Yeah. Anyways. All right. So now we've got uh, number three and it's Jingle Bells. Yeah, Tuck Andrus. You talked a little bit about him last year. Did I? Yeah. Which song did I use? Uh, he popped up in a tangent, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. So we didn't actually play one of his songs. No, no, no. Okay, no. because this is a song that begrudgingly ends up on the Emmett playlist around my house. Because, yes. you know, my wife, she's not keen on jazz guitar, you know, instrumentals. 
that's, solo instrumentals. That's what it was, Rick, because he came out with a record, I believe, that you you try to play, and the rest of the Emmett Broods is uh, that's boring. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but every now and then they go like my my daughter Ashley. She came by last year and she plugged her iPhone into our system, mm. so it was her playlist. Uh, and one of the Tuck Andrews tunes came up, no and I way. went, "Oh, honey!" And she goes, "That's just for you, Dad." Oh, you know, that that's on nice. Just for you, yeah, yeah. Tuck Andrews is a guy that um, he's from California, San Francisco area, and he was a guy that had a gig playing in like you know I don't I'm not sure which classy hotel it was, but one of the he had a lounge gig, okay. but and he would play solo. Uh, but he was one of these really conscientious guys that would go home and then work all day long figuring out these incredible arrangements. Mm. Like it's Christmas time, so he's got to play Christmas stuff. She goes, okay, but I'm going to learn how to play these things. Amazing, you know. And he could play that style of like Chet Atkins kind of playing. So it's like a... So you got a bass and chords. And he's going... I'm stopping and starting and because I can't play. Wow. <laughs> like I can't do it. Yeah. But so he's got bass going and he's got chords. But but he does stuff like this. That diddle duck. Oh yeah. There's these rhythm things that he does. They're so sophisticated. And they're so um like tricky and your guitar technique has to be so good. Well, because the listeners can't see, you're actually finger picking all of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With yeah. Nails. So, and you can see I have. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I get acrylic nails painted on, and I'm due for the backfill. So you've got so on your right, right hand, hand, yeah, you've got very lengthy nails yes. on every they, finger. They've grown out. They're a little long now. I should have filed them before. So, so are they, those are, are not your natural nails. No, it's acrylic. Oh. Yeah, they get painted on. It's like a goop. <laughs> Wow. And, and then they file it. Yeah, it's but they're hard as rock. Like I'm tapping on the. I oh, got. Wow. I, yeah, I could drive nails with these things. Wow. Yeah, they, I just noticed that. Yeah. Jeez. You know who got me into this? Don Ross, the Canadian uh, great fingerstyle guitarist. Yeah, yeah. And he was on Duke Street Records at the time that I was, and I, I used to complain bitterly when I was playing in rock bands and stuff. You just tear your nails to shreds on your sure. right hand. Yeah. And Don said, "Well, you should go to the beauty parlor and get." acrylic nails put on and i went what and he and he went oh yeah because the first few times you go there you're gonna feel a little goofy you know as the ladies are sitting around with their heads under the you know the dryers and all that stuff yeah. said, but after a while you get used to it and so i've been doing it for about 30 years now wow yeah that's incredible yeah crazy yeah, yeah so anyhow uh Taki andrews is one of those kind of guys fingerstyle player uh that merle travis chad atkins style of alternating bass and uh, so this tune is like he, he'll get it so that it's you know it's in this that's first position, but he'll do it up here too. You know, wow. so it, wow. he, he does it all over the neck. It's it's bopping. It it just never stops. Yeah. So he's he's the champion woodshedder of all time. There's no doubt about it. So he uh, is on my list and. He got signed to Wyndham Hill Records, okay. and that was how he sort of became, everybody got to know about him, and Guitar Magazine started writing about him, so, because mm -hmm. he had these amazing things. And so then they go, well, hey, what else you got there, Tuck? And yeah. he goes, well, you know, I could do a Christmas record. 
Uh-huh. And they go, you could. He goes, yeah, yeah. I will call it Hymns, Carols, and Songs About Snow. <laughs> so that's what it's called. The album is entitled Hymns, Carols, and Songs About Snow. Came out in 1991. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, and but after that, he then uh, formed a duo with his wife, Patty Cathcart. And she's yeah. a black singer, fantastic, you know. So they have this duo and they go all over the world. They, they, uh, they're big in Japan, so they go and tour there every year. And Europe, they do festivals. They, you know, yeah. So that's the story of Tuck Andrews. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we've got one more to finish off part one, and it is River with James Taylor again. Yes. This is the second most covered Joni Mitchell song. The first one being Big Yellow Taxi. Uh, I well, you know what? I don't think so. I think I think maybe uh, Clouds. Oh, really? I look at clouds from both sides. Yeah. Both sides now. Really? Yeah. But you you may be right. Big yellow taxis, maybe. Mm, I just thought. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Look Anyways, I think this is the definitive version of River mm-hmm. because uh, I'm going to make my argument now. All right. First of all, James Taylor, <laughs> it was Joni Mitchell's friend. Yes. So that means he can take a little bit more liberties <laughs> with it than others might. Second of all, that marriage of Larry Golding and James Taylor for the harmonic treatment that they give this tune, mm-hmm. phenomenal. And then for me, the the you know the crowning thing is that Taylor's voice. I've always loved James Taylor; he's one of my favorites. And I just think uh, this is a surpassing, surpassingly amazing version of the song because of his vocal. Yeah, yeah. Tangent so, quickly about that about Blue. James Taylor and Joni were together at that time, and after this album came out. He actually pulled her aside and said, Joni, you're giving too much of yourself away in your lyrics. Really, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And he was actually concerned that she was giving too much of herself away to the to the public. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure, it, it it's an extremely personal song, this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, the River. And it's not The River. It's just River. And in truth, I can, like, it, what, there's a clip you can find online now where Taylor is being interviewed and asked about the song. And he goes, well, I always think of this as Joni's L.A. Christmas, you know, Christmas L.A. Song. Yeah, Christmas song. Yeah. But it's not about Christmas. It's really just about the Christmas season. And in a way, she's feeling bad. She's just broken up. And the, the scuttlebutt is that she'd broken up with Graham Nash. Mm. And that had been one of her strongest, deepest kind of... Uh, relationships at the time yeah and it was kind of her fault that it had broken up and so maybe this is why james taylor is going i think you're giving a lot of yourself away because i think people gravitate to this as a christmas song because it's about dislocation it's about human weakness and mistakes and regret and and just feeling out of place so the whole wish for escape and you know running away from your problems Christmas and New Year's it's a tough time sometimes for people there's loneliness and and regret yeah and I think Joni sort of captured that sense of and of course this goes right back to her youth when she grew up in Saskatchewan if I could just get a a pair of skates and get on a frozen river and just skate I can skate away from all my problems and all my issues yeah I think she frames that in the first couple lines of the song it's Christmas but it's green here where I am which is presumably LA exactly right yeah yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, lately going through some personal things where you know, the the idea of Zen, uh, uh, you know, trying to approach your 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 life and and be more in this moment. Mm-hmm. How can you be more just here, present? Yeah, yeah. because 
the past and the future, they, there are these bookends around now. And if you go, if you're in the past too much, that's sort of like the land of regret. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, there's no way you can be in the past and not be going, oh, that was a stupid thing I did, or oh, you know, I wish I'd never, I wish I'd done that different, you know. Yeah. And then the future is where anxiety lives. Why go there? Because that may never happen. Yeah. And but people go there and go, oh no, what if, what if this happens? You, you, no, don't play what if. Yeah. Just be here now in this moment. This is where everything can be calm if you'll only let it. Mm-hmm. But don't let the past and the future you know, intrude upon it. So I think there's a little bit of that where she's kind of, and and little kids understand this, you know, intrinsically. It's like, uh, if I can just put on the skates and start skating, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because I'm just here in this moment and this moment's just about skating on the river. And the next lines have something to do with I'm just going to make some money and get out of here kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Make a lot of money and quit this crazy scene. You know, if if, uh, you treat me right, Brent, I might sing the song for you at the really? end of this but yes and we'll get all of those lyrics because <laughs> I've got a lyric sheet just here in front of me oh you happen I, to have it just right there oh geez yeah with chord changes written oh, on it and everything that. so I'm going to try and uh, get my way through it but yes further to your point about um, her giving so much of herself away mm-hmm. she she writes I'm so hard to handle I'm selfish and I'm sad and I, I think I've lost the best thing I ever had Yeah, and like whoa, that's diary stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also on this record, Blue, there's a song called "My Old Man." If you know that. Oh one. yes. Yeah. Just got such a great change on it. Going into, I think the bridge, yeah. but the lyrics are very haunting. You know, it's like it just very kind of evocative because she says things like that you wouldn't normally think of, but when you 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 picture the image, you say, "Oh my God, she's completely alone. Yes. This frying pan's too big." You know, yeah. the, things like that. And yeah, it's just yeah, like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. like this is really kind of heart-wrenching yes. stuff. Yes, yes. I, I thought maybe one of the greatest albums of all time, that yeah. Blue Record. Oh, you yeah, know? for sure. And uh, I mean, I just finished recording 18 songs uh, of my own here in the studio, you know, just acoustic guitar and voice. Ah. And, you know, one of the albums that I told the engineer, I said, no, no, we got to go for that. You know, the Johnny Cash thing with that he did with uh, Rick. Well, I can't remember the producer's name. Oh, uh, Ruben. Rick Ruben. Ruben. Yeah, yeah. I said that thing. Or maybe, you know, like Joni Mitchell did on Blue. Wow. <laughs> so, like, you, you, when you're going for something that's bare bones and real, yep. that's one of the albums that artists Absolutely. will go, no, no, that's, you know, oh, yeah. set the mold kind of. Yeah, for Definitely. sure. Anyhow, um, I think she let James take some... Uh, uh, large i don't know if she let it maybe he just did it and said no this is what it is but him and uh james taylor and larry golden came up with some really lovely they treat it harmonically very different than she did mm-hmm. and when she did it on blue she she was it was fairly rudimentary piano she's not a tremendous piano player she she can you know get by as a songwriter on a piano yeah but it wasn't like it was amazing in fact her her version starts with jingle bells on the piano, like a quote of Jingle Bells. Mm, that's right. But James Taylor's starts with uh, Good King Wenceslas, mm-hmm. a little bit of that. So that'll be a challenge when I have to try and play that for you. <laughs> and there's a whole backstory to that, too. But they do really cool things. Like it starts with King Wenceslas. And then at the end, when uh, uh, Taylor is just playing this floating kind of chord, uh, Larry Golding uh, quotes Good King Wenceslas in open parallel fourths, just a little 
uh, da, 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 dee, da, da. Like it's just there in the background, kind of floating, uh, almost like church bells, you yeah. know. And it's just such a cool musical thing. I love that stuff. Those to, little winks. Oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, the fact that the chords are, uh, they're often polychords, a chord stuck on top of another chord. Yeah. When Joni plays guitar, she does a lot of that because she mm. puts it in a tuning and she just figures something out. And if it sounds good to her, she just goes with it. She she's often like the. the who who's the girl in in the Friends when she was learning how to play guitar? Yeah, yeah. F- Phoebe was Phoebe. that the yeah. character? Yeah, and she goes, "I call this one the cat," you know, or whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> she didn't really know the names of the chords; she just knew these, these shapes, right? Yeah. And Joni is like that. She really just kind of invents these shapes on the tunings that she's got. So this is the idea of you get one chord on the bottom. So there's an E minor chord or an E minor voicing. Yeah. I've got a capo at four, so it's actually a G sharp minor for you musophiles in the. <laughs> so you add a nine to that, okay. and then they add the seven to that. And so now you've actually got part of a B minor chord. Hmm. That's B minor, but with this. So you've got two chords going on at once here. And sometimes you can even add that note on the top. And in and and uh, in the river that Taylor does, that's he adds that note, which is an eleven on the E minor voicing. But it's, I mean, what an evocative chord! It's one of my favorites. You know, I can get goosebumps just from listening to that chord. Anyhow, so. That would have been something that Joni would have gone, oh, that's great. Oh, I'm glad you did that. Oh, that's really good. All right. So um, one more thing I want to point out. When James Taylor sings this classic James Taylor thing, you know the way in conversation you might say, uh, you know, oh, that's a hand. That's a a guitar. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he goes, that's A. That's a guitar. That's a. He wants the long vowel. Okay. So like, shower the people is shower the people you love. Show yeah. them the way that you. Mm-hmm. It's because he wants the long vowel, and so he does that in this song too. Interesting. And I'll try and throw a little of that in when I'm doing my version. Okay. So are we getting towards that now, or I'm going to perform to? We are. Call this to a a conclusion here. Yes. So we can finish with that part one. If you will indulge us, playing River, James Taylor version. That's yeah. perfect, actually. I'll try not to, yeah? Yeah. Guitar level's good? Yeah. Okay, so um, see if I can get through this. <laughs> this will be funny if I can do it. <laughs> okay. So it starts with Good King Wenceslas. Yeah.
Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. I made it without without uh, without a clam. There's no clams to add it out uh, there. It was, it was a couple of it's rough be, spots. It's but... be an easy out. <laughs> <laughs> At least Rick. I don't have to try and play it again. Shall we take a little break? <laughs> Let's take a little break. A cup of tea. We'll come back down and do part two. Yeah. All right. Great. Great. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Rick Emmett, live from his home studio. Part two will be next week. Till next time, folks. Take care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>